It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. And good morning, everyone. Good um, morning. <laughs> Once again, um, the uh, last second uh, dramatics, theatrics, uh, as we try to get oh, into the show. Uh, ah, you're right. It's just a, just Wait. a normal Sunday here, right? That's the way it is. If we didn't have that, you'd wonder what was wrong. Um, no, I wouldn't. I would say, hey, wasn't this nice? We just got into all of this really <laughs> smoothly and everything just just worked out great. Um, but you'd be waiting for that proverbial shoe to drop otherwise. Um, yeah, yeah, I would be. Um, but we have a great show for you today. Uh, we're very, very uh, excited uh, about uh, bringing in our two guests in the first mm-hmm. hour here, Katie Parker from Tamerlane Sanctuary and Preserve in Montague Township, New Jersey, Aaron Yance, who runs Aaron's Farm in Hobart, Indiana, um, and um, we... It's, if, it's if, a remote that isn't a remote. Exactly. We're not there. But they are on their farms, and they are rescue farms for abused and neglected farm animals. And in Aaron's case, um, a few added attractions as well. Um, So that is pretty much the first part of the show. And I want to welcome everybody who might be watching this um, because they know Aaron or they know Katie or they know the facilities they they work at um, and say, hey, please go to our YouTube channel and subscribe. That would be uh, terrific. You can also go to MikeNovak.net. There's a blog post about all of this. Uh, it's M-I-K-E-N-O-W-A-K.net. Uh, and we hope that uh, you, you enjoy the show today because um, <laughs> it was... Uh, um, there was a lot of hard work put into this uh, this morning. Um, and, of course, Rick DeMaio will be here later on, meteorologist Rick DeMaio, with our, our weather and climate information. Uh, just so you know, we're, we're, we're headed back into drought here in uh, the upper Midwest. Um, he's, we've got some maps here. I think here. We, we are back already. Yeah. I don't know if we're headed he's, back. We're he's, there. Yeah, he's got some uh, statistics on the lack of rain that we've had here, uh, and the map is looking like it did in June, which is uh, pretty amazing. It just it sort of faded, and now 
it's back mm-hmm. and you know that's a lot of the country has had some kind of drought so we'll we'll talk about that and uh, we'll talk about a few other things uh, going on in the uh, gardening and environmental 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 uh, thank you uh, bill curtis uh world uh but i think we should uh, just go to our guests because they have a, a, a lot to offer today, so uh, let's go to the various farms, and I need to make sure that, the, no, the microphones are on. How about that? So your lower left-hand part of your screen, you can see Katie Parker from mm-hmm. Tamerlane Sanctuary Preserve. Katie, how are you? Great. How are you guys? Uh, we're, we're fine. We're excited uh, to, to see this uh, tour today, and what a beautiful building uh, is behind you, or buildings uh, behind you. That's uh, a gorgeous farm. In fact, uh, you're part of a farm that is uh, uh, so, some 240 years old, isn't it? Yep. It's uh, our farmhouse. Is the last record we have is from the earliest record we have is from 1774, although it might have been built even before then. And it's only been through two owners other than us, the Westfall family and um, the Mortimers in the 30s or 40s. Wow. So it's it's a Kept wonderfully pristine. It, it's been a, a, want, a vineyard, um, and it's just it's in great shape. And we've restored most of the farmhouse by now. We're working on that, but um, it's a really absolutely gorgeous historical piece of property. In fact, and, uh, uh, we're very yeah. I'm, I'm popping it up in in the large screen so so yeah. folks can can see it. And with the sun shining uh, uh, beyond the silo, it's beautiful. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and that's out in New Jersey for anybody who missed the beginning of the show. Yeah, and right, and we're right, Park and um, Pennsylvania meet. Yeah, uh, right, yeah. New New Jersey, right, just about on the border of Pennsylvania, right? Right, just a few miles. Um, in uh, in Montague uh, Township, uh, there's no, uh, I guess, no real city that the the farm is in. Uh, Port Jervis is kind of a larger town, but Montague is a really a, a beautiful place as well. Um, when I say Port Jervis is a larger town, I mean it's the larger of the nearby towns. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's still it's a pretty rural area. It's it's just it's really gorgeous. There's lots of rivers and you know historic bridges in the town. And Port mm-hmm. Jervis is actually kind of going a lot of uh, revitalization right now. So there's all sorts of cool little shops opening up, mm-hmm. um, hmm. kind of add help out the area as well and provide some tourists dollars and you know bring in some people, some adventurous outdoor people who love the animals. Several. Um, spend some money at some of the state parks and uh, nature attractions. We're right near some uh, water rafting and everything, so we kind of want to you know, be part of the community in that way as well. All right, and, and we did this before we started the show. Just do a kind of a 360 there, and you oh. can see some of the okay. gr- grounds. It's just uh, so good. That's the, farm. the farmhouse? Okay. Very All right. Doing everything back. Um, and then, so it's, it's 336 acres. And you can see the hills in the back are actually, a, there's underground caves back there. Wow. They're covered up. Wow. Over t- um, but they were part of the Underground Railroad at one point. And they lead all the way over to the Delaware River. So it was a pretty important stop um, in history, but, you know, at that point. So we kind of mm-hmm. like to think we're keeping the social justice movement going on here on well, the property. Well, you, you, you absolutely are. And certainly the... Uh, the uh, animal justice movement with uh, what you're doing doing yeah. there. Um, so let let me now uh, go to 
the lower right-hand corner of our screen and bring in Aaron Yance uh, from Aaron's Farm in Hobart, Indiana. And Aaron, you and I have uh, a little bit of a history. We met, uh, and let me, I tell you what, uh, let's let's see if I can pop this up because this is uh, a pretty funny photo from back in the day. This is you and me uh, a few years ago at a... Uh, I don't know if you can actually see that. That's me interviewing uh, Tootsie the Tortoise um, at a green festival that was at... Uh, uh, um, Lane Tech. Lane, no, it wasn't Lane Tech. It was um, Lakeview, Lakeview High School. Uh, Lakeview in, High School, yeah. Right, in, in Chicago. Uh, and that was when you were doing something different. So explain uh, your path to where you are, Aaron. So, uh, yeah, kind of a, a vegan type rescue sanctuary a little bit different um i was a vet nurse for for years of my life and um would just take in animals that needed rescue that when people called and um eventually got to the point where i ended up having a farm and that's where the rescue started and i you know subsidized everything myself for the first 10 years but i had a, a program called nature's creatures and we went to schools and educated the kids with this with these rescued animals uh, teaching compassion because they're one of our our main you to have to have more compassionate adults in the future you have to start with the kids and mm -hmm. and so many of the kids that i would go to to the sea at the schools had never been exposed to any of the animals that we brought you know for, whether it's something as simple as a rabbit to a, you know an exotic iguana or something and it, you know in these programs i could see the transformation of the kids they would start kind of terrified of some of these animals at the end of the class they wanted and, and hold it so I could see in these 45 minute presentations the difference it was making in these kids lives so over the, the you know over the 10 15 years that we did that full time um, we went to like I think the number is it's on my website but it's it's like like almost 750,000 kids uh, were exposed to our wow. program and it was all nature-based education so that's kind of the foundation of what mm -hmm. led and to this to this farm um you know i i kind of started to have my feelings change about what I, what i was doing i didn't like the animals traveling and i but i wanted to continue this education with the kids so i just thought the best way to do this is to have the animals that stay at home and the kids come to us um and they would get that same exposure plus they're out in nature putting the phones down and you know getting their feet dirty and see it but then also seeing the animals interact with other species interact with family members and because yeah. that just shows these kids like how like us they are and that's the connection i'm really going for at this farm is to really sensitize kids um in the next generation to animals like with the choices we make and makes and and, you know, and kind of move forward uh, in a positive way that helps the environment and animals. So, uh, Okay. Well, how did you end up with the farm in Hobart? So um, when I started the farm, I was renting a farm in Illinois, and I was trying to find one to purchase. And then a good friend from high school found this place, and it's kind of an odd uh, place. It was a former slaughterhouse uh, that now, now is an animal sanctuary, so it has a... Um, Kind of a an interesting past um so i, I live in at, at the property now so i live in a slaughterhouse but we love the idea of turning it into a like a from a sad place for animals to go to a happy place uh, but it does have that you know that um that history which is a little 
Well, you know, I when creepy, I, creepy sometimes. Well, you know, let let me, if I can. Everybody that comes here just loves the energy that uh, that you get. It's Okay. All right. A, a couple of things here uh, as as we move forward. Uh, it's going to be hard uh, to have a, a, a conversation because sometimes you can't hear when I'm talking because we're, we're using phones. The, expect a little bit of breakup here. That's, that's going to happen. And um, I can cover that because I've also mm-hmm. got some videos and some photos. Yeah. And, I, and we may all be just overtaken by the sound of chickens at some point too. Yeah, and that, and sometimes when when we have that happen, um, and I wanted uh, to say, um, Aaron, that I think uh, moving into a slaughterhouse, uh, as I wrote in my blog, it was either ironic or prophetic. So I think it's prophetic, actually, um, and uh, and I'm and it's good that you're there. Now, how many acres do you have? We have uh, 33 acres, so a uh, little bit smaller, but the thing is that we're about four from Chicago so um, and other local small small towns, so there's such a great opportunity for people to, like a mass number of people to get exposure. Uh, you kind of, it, it jumped there, but from Chicago, it's it's less than an hour to get there, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I think she said about 45 minutes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Katie, how many acres have you got in in that area? Um, it's 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 a bigger piece of property. It's three hundred and thirty six acres. And um, you know, I just wanted to say, Aaron, I think that's amazing. I, I absolutely love that story. It's always so nice to meet other people in sanctuaries and stuff. I'm not running it. I'm I'm the human educator, so we do a lot of education as well here. It's so I just wanted to echo what you said. How important it is to teach the kids. You know, we could rescue. We can't rescue all the animals in the world, but we can. You know teach the future why we're doing it and what we're doing and i just think your outreach sounds fantastic uh katie when you say humane educator what does that mean um a lot of what aaron was talking about we do we do private tours we do school tours we do public tours on the weekends um what i do mostly is the school tours and Mm -hmm. we do virtual tours as well as in-person tours for schools and classes and I will write um, lesson plans and we'll coordinate activities and sort of um, cater to the students' needs mm-hmm. and, you know, work with teachers to figure out exactly, you know, if, if there's kids with special needs or um, if there's something specific they want us to focus on or, you know, and it's important to sort of um, work with their sensitivity levels too because mm-hmm. we want to make sure our programs are all inclusive. And, you know, the vast, yeah. most of the people we teach, like Aaron said, have never seen a farm or been to a farm and don't know where their food comes from. So, um, you know, we have to be very sensitive about not <clears throat> leaving them with images of horror. You know, we don't, that's not right. what we do. We, we kind of are like, you know, because none of us were born vegan here. Um, so they're there because they love, we're here because we love animals. Kids here you know, are born loving animals. So we just kind of return them to their, nat- hope to return them to their natural, yeah. compassionate, you know, empathetic state. And, and, um, and you have a background in education and publishing. So it's a perfect yes. mix. I wrote and edited textbooks for about 20 years, so um, yeah. science. And, and I should mention that that's how I got to know you, because you worked on a project with my partner, Kathleen, uh, who, yes. sa- who says, you're just a fantastic writer. Um, so you have something to fall back on. Uh, but So what made you come to this farm uh, earlier this year? It was kind of a combination of things. Um, our geese are very excited. I think it's about feeding time. But <laughs> it, it was a kind of a combination of things. And, you know, I've been vegan for about eight or nine years. 
And when I started um, working in education, I was really passionate about what I was doing and I felt it felt great and it was, you know, a very creative field. Um, but, you know, as time has gone on, I don't think the large the large publishing industry is um, doing as much as it once was. And it's very restricted. You know, um, you have to tell the teachers exactly what to say and that kind of thing. And I don't believe teachers like that any more than we working on it did. Um, so I wanted to do something I was passionate about again and feel passionate. And this is much better than education ever was. And I, I, I just feel mm -hmm. so lucky to be here. I, I joke around with... Uh, Gabby and Peter, the founders, every time I come, I'm like, today's the day I'm going to be fired because it's just, it's, <laughs> it's a, a dream. We're doing yeah. such important work. So you're proud to be a part of it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, don't get me started on educational writing. I don't even work in that. I've done a little bit of it. And I, uh, Kathleen uh, has occasionally dragged me into it. Um, but uh, we could do a whole uh, series of programs uh, about that. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned um, Peter Nussbaum and Gabrielle Stubbert, who uh, they started uh, Tamerlane back in 20, well, I guess they're officially 2014, but it started with an incident in 2013. And then in 2018, they bought this farm. Um, mm -hmm. I, re I read some stuff uh, that they, a wonderful article, and I have a link to it on my blog post. Uh, and they they offer some really clear-eyed advice, and Aaron, you probably understand this as well, which is be prepared to spend your life savings on your on doing this because there's no easy way to do it, which reminds me also that you're both not-for-profit organizations, and so I'm going to encourage people watching this right now and listening on the podcast when the podcast goes out uh, to contribute, uh, to donate to either one or both of the organizations, you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and I've got the links there. But Peggy is going to send these out um, to our chat room uh, now, and uh, we hope that some people take advantage of this and of, um, are, are able to, uh, to contribute to uh, your organizations. I wanted to get that out uh, right away, uh, and I had almost forgotten about it, but... Uh, uh, we will mention it again during the course of the uh, the broadcast here. Uh, okay, so now I guess we get to start getting a, a little bit of a tour here. Um, um, let's and, and and like I said, we might lose uh, some signal from time to time, uh, but we will do what we can uh, to to cover that. Um, and um, uh, let's start with you, Katie. Let's see uh, if we can move around a little bit. And Aaron, you stand by because uh, we'll be we'll be uh, going to you as well. So, what are we going to take a look at first, Katie? So I'll, I'll show you on this side of the barn, and then we'll definitely hit a dead spot as I pass the barn. Okay. Um, and so what we're going to start with, we'll start with we have some of our bird rescues here, um, and these are some of our geese, and a lot of our geese there. <laughs> I, th I think they know we're talking about them yep um, these are domestic geese and some of them came from the, the food industry the food industry the down industry um and then some of them were also abandoned in parks and they because they're domestic they can't actually fly so they don't have any natural defenses um and we work with there's a group of bird rescuers out on long island that have really helped us a lot um, with them and all the way in the back you can't really see but we have 
Oh, you can't see them. Our, our big, big cows are back there. I'm going to try to take you to Chicken Village and see if this works. Okay. It worked yesterday. So it will yeah. today. If it doesn't, uh, um, Erin is standing by, and uh, mm-hmm. we will we will go to her. Um, and I so, should – go ahead, Peggy. While you're walking, um, are most of the animals that come to the sanctuary local, or do they come from all over the country? They definitely come from all over the country. We get, you know, calls constantly. Um, you know, we don't even have to go looking for them because so many animals need rescue. Um, mm-hmm. These are our, these are chickens. These are what's known as broiler hens or broiler chickens, the ones that are used for meat. Um, and, you know, these days they're bred to gain weight so fast and just be constantly hungry. So they're yeah. all on special diets. And um, I think they, they, they grow at like seven... I want to say, um, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think it's like 125% of their growth rate from 50 years ago. So their, their feet, their legs can't support their weight. They have a lot of, um, you know, um, breathing issues, heart issues. And we actually have a medical center here where we have uh, trained staff that does a lot of triage work and medical care. Mm-hmm. And actually over here, I'm going to take you to, um, to show you some of our uh, what we try to do is even if they can't walk around and they can't fly and they, they well, they can't, any of them can fly, but they can't keep up with the, um, the flock and they can't really go in. We let, we want them to still not live their lives in the hospital and have the best life quality they can. So we always like rotate who can come out in the sunshine. Um, let's see these little guys. Hi guys. I don't know. Can you see, is this, do I have you at a good angle here? Yeah. Yep. These are not freeze up temporarily. There we go. So these guys, you know, we try to let them outside and, um, you know, let them just enjoy the sunshine. And this mm-hmm. is their little friend. She thinks, and this is Panda. Hi, Panda. Um, but we do, one of our one of our workers has actually sort of been developing a wheelchair for the chickens that, <clears throat> to help them build their leg strength. And it's actually been working pretty nicely. So um, they all get to go outside and spend time in the sunshine. Mm-hmm. These chickens come from um, the farm industry. And uh, Kaporos, we do rescues for Kaporos, which um, I don't know if, if, you know, for those of you who aren't aware of it, it's sort of a, um, a rich ritual, a religious ritual within um, small sects of the Orthodox Hasidic Jewish community. And um, it's the, for the week before Yom Kippur. It's done out in the open in the streets, amassing the birds. And then for, um, they sacrifice them by taking them by their wings um, sort of spinning them over their head as a, a sacrifice and then their throats are slit um, and this is done right out in the open and out in the street and uh, we, we have seven generations of Kaporos birds in here actually that we've rescued and <clears throat> this year with group efforts there was over 700 birds rescued in part because a truck fell over <laughs> carrying a lot of the, um, the birds and then you know sometimes they will give rescues to survivors um, so they're We've got a lot of those birds, and they're actually up right now um, doing treat hash work done on them. They're still in pretty poor shape, but we rescue as many as we can, and then mm-hmm. they live pretty good lives here. Uh, you know, uh, if if I can uh, if I can jump in, uh, Aaron, uh, are you familiar with the caporos? Do you, ha- do you have any of those birds in, in your sanctuary? Yeah. Uh, we we have had them before. Um, they traditionally don't. Uh, live a very very long life uh, maybe a couple years just because their bodies are designed to for you know for another purpose um 
so uh, yeah, we, we've had them. I don't have any currently. We have uh, battery cage hens now from a big rescue last mm. uh, summer. Um, uh, from the you know we have we have a lot of factory farmed animals, um, but I don't have any of the chorus right now. Okay, um, and uh, New York especially. Yeah, I would um, imagine more in New York. There has been uh, incidents uh, that I just found out about the other day that uh, this happens in Chicago as well. So uh, where are we now, Katie? So we're coming up on Chicken Village behind me. Uh, we did have an event yesterday. Ooh, okay. We're losing uh, you a little bit there. Let's uh, let's go back uh, out and uh, bring in Aaron. And when we see Katie uh, start to move again, uh, we will uh, we will we will get back to her. Aaron, what have you got behind you there? So I'm currently in our uh, mini horse field. Uh, at our firm, we do have uh, 40 equines. Equines would be like mini horses, ponies, horses, donkeys, uh, up to up to our largest, which is a Clydesdale. Um, wow. What we educate uh, a lot of people is the fact that there's like 50 to seven, 50 to 150 thousand. Um, horses that are export water to use as food in other countries um, and it's you know no better no worse than the factory farmed animals uh, but I, the things I think is so sad about it is that many of these animals were people's pets and they were treated like and you know pets and then it's almost like the old trail when they're sent away just because they don't have a use and you know we teach that you know we have retired carriage horses we have retired race horses that you know um, are lame and couldn't be ridden or anything but and so they were deemed kind of you know what's what's like unusable or, or worthless uh and i think that's offensive to me because i feel like they they especially because they provided a service so long um that the least that they could get was a, a healthy safe retirement um so we that's what we we give we a lot of them are pulled from uh, kill pens and some were just avoided from that so like this, this mini herd group here <laughs> was a rescue a couple years ago um, and, and they, they've uh, all, they've all gathered around you here. Yeah. I just, they were so far away and I didn't know if yeah. I lose the connection heated and I grabbed a little bit of grain to entice them closer. Ah. I didn't want ah. So they weren't just <laughs> coming up, they were coming over for breakfast. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's still breakfast time. So, um, but one of the nice things about this particular rescue that we did with these, uh, mini horses, they, they came from Missouri cause we do get animals from all across the United States. Um, but they, um, it was a family unit, and they had been feral, like kind of wild for a number of years, just not handled or anything. And, um, you know, when the owners passed away, they were, you know, they were either going to get split up uh, and just go who knows where to be riding ponies for people, or they were going to go to slaughter. Um, and we, it was a big decision because taking on 15 mini horses, and of course, all the girls were pregnant, and, you know, so we got everybody fixed, but 15 quickly turned into 20. But the nice thing, like on our tours, when people come through here, is that they get to see a family unit intact and how they behave. You get to see mothers with their children. You have, you know, have foals that are two to three years old that are still nursing. And I like to show that because I like to say, like, you know, we don't wean them, separate anybody. Like, this is on their terms. Like, they, they live out their lives. And it's, like, the way that they want with a family unit. And... I think that's what we try to show people is, you know, we've had offers of, oh, I'll take a pony for, for my kids or something. And I said, that would be great. You know, it sounds nice because it would lighten the load for us. But 
we try to think of what's best for the animal and we think what's best for them would be to stay as an intact family unit. We think they would be happier that way than separated and, and taken all over. And um, and we like to show that like they have the bonds that we have. They, this little mini herd kind of uh, mirrors the wild Mustangs and the issues that we're having with wild Mustangs, which is a cause I'm, I'm very, um, uh, you know, that's very important to me. So it's a nice kind of mini version um, of that where people can see these family units and the structure and how, um, how tight they are just like us. So um, it's a, so yeah, so we have a, a lot of minis here. <laughs> yeah, there. And do you want to introduce us to uh, any of them in particular? Yeah, we, well, I've, let's see, I've got, um, this is, uh, this is little Gunner. He's our, the, the youngest baby. He's like, oh, wait, let me see if I can see him. Uh, he was our youngest. Uh, the last one that was born, uh, we have, who do we have here? Uh, we have uh, Flat Creek Prince, we have Raven, we have Banda, <laughs> uh, we have Princess here with the beautiful markings. Yeah. But it's, this is a whole, it's aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, grandparents, and it's really nice to see them all together and nice to know that they get to live out their lives uh, together. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, as as you said, as a family unit, and that's so unusual for uh, I would guess it's unusual for horses to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people, you know, if they have them, they have, you know, they, a lot of people, horses eat a lot and they can be expensive. So if they're not providing a service, a lot of people don't see any point in having them. So that's why if a horse gets lame, they're sold to auction where oftentimes they end up at slaughter. Um, and you know, it's not, you know, we, we've pulled animals from slaughter that just had little, you know, injuries or things that they needed to get over. And now they're perfectly sound and fine. And, you know, what we teach the kids about this is that, you know, it, here here in America, it's kind of a throwaway society. We, you know, we, we're one time use everything, you know, get a cup, throw it away kind of thing. And that sadly sometimes kind of goes down into pets and animals. And, you know, like these horses that we pulled from slaughter sometimes that were thrown away, um, just needed some time to recover. They just needed, you know, maybe a year to recover from a hoof injury. And, but people just throw them away and buy a new one. And it's just really heartbreaking that that translates down to living things. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we've got uh, Katie back here too, I, but it's just in time for uh, a quick break here. So uh, <laughs> folks who are listening and watching, uh, we've got Katie Parker there from Tamerlane sanctuary and preserve and we have aaron yance from aaron's farm in hobart indiana and we're going to continue with these tours and i, I, I love having these you know yeah just get lower there uh, aaron and same thing with katie uh it, it, just getting good and close with the animals yep. so that we've got uh, the goats behind katie there that we'll all be right. back with and uh we'll be back with both <laughs> i love it uh, oh there we are there's that's terrific all right and all i have You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. 
Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. Oh, hi. I suppose you're wondering what an A-list celebrity like me is doing in a place like this. You must know, I'm saving the world. Oh, hi, Beth. Yep, saving the world again. <laughs> Did you know that 40% of all the food produced in the United States is thrown away? That means everything that went into that food, the pesticides, the water, the land, was all for nothing. Just look at this perfectly good food thrown in the trash. The pizza with extra Cheerios. At these goldfish and Band-Aid tacos. And just look at this perfect trash burger. This pasta dog looks delicious. You don't have to dumpster dive like Ed Begley Jr. to save the planet. Fight food waste by shopping smart and using what you buy before it gets trashed. That's way better. Ooh, arugula. Do your part and find out other world-saving tips at betterthaned.org. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're we're out on the farm and a couple of farms. Uh, one of them is in New Jersey. That's Tamerlane Sanctuary and Preserve. And uh, we're also in Hobart, Indiana on Aaron's Farm. Uh, Katie Parker is in the lower left part of your screen. And Aaron Yance is in the lower right. And Katie, I guess it's it's time to go to you. Where uh, Where are you right now? So right now I'm at our GoTel. Um, which is, you know, very witty. It's the hotel for goats, but they live there. <laughs> Go tell. All right. Inside, but do, right do, now they're do all tell. Up. Yeah. They just got their breakfast, so everyone's very happily along. <laughs> Good morning. They're, our goats are super affectionate. They just love, um, they, de- they definitely have little family units as well, like the mini horses. And mm-hmm. it's really nice to see them. We had, most of our goats came from a rescue in Massachusetts where the ASPCA shut down entirely for mistreatment and you know there's very few laws to protect i mean there's no federal laws to protect livestock so for a farm for the usda for the usda to actually shut down a farm it's got to be pretty horrific so they came from a pretty bad situation and um they're absolutely loving life that's most of our goats came from there and i'm trying to look for one of my favorites i want to show you jasper he's our handsome little man uh, but when they did, and as as you're as you're talking, as you're going to find Jasper, um, there are, uh, and I wrote this on the blog. There are nine billion, nine billion with a B land animals that are raised and slaughtered for food in the United States each year, uh, and as you mentioned, pretty much legally they're on their own. According to the Animal Welfare Institute, no single federal law expressly governs the treatment of animals used for food while on farms in the United States. In fact, these animals do not have legal protections until they are transported off the farm, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah, and even those laws are pretty, the transport laws are pretty awful, too. I I think... uh, it's, you know, for one of the animals, I can't remember exactly which one, but it's, they have to be removed at least once every 48 hours or something. And, um, you know, there's no climate control. It's, it's, and they're out in hot weather. They're stuck in, they're all crowded in, 
in cold weather or rain, there's really not much protection. Um, a lot of times they're not given food and water and, you know, they're going across the country sometimes. So um, there's no real way to keep track of whether those laws are being followed. Um, and, you know, speaking of the lack of protection for animals, you know, and then you've got the whole ag gag laws where, it, they're, you know, it's a crime for someone to go into these factory farms and film it to show what's actually happening. So they have absolutely no protection. And because the agricultural industry is so powerful, they're able to actually make these laws and they're trying to get, you know, harsher laws passed in a lot of states where a whistleblower is prosecuted. So, you know, in any other industry, whistleblowers are lauded and we write articles about them and we praise them. But, you know, in the animal agricultural business, somehow these animals that have no protection at all are also not allowed any witnesses legally to speak for them. Um, so it's, it's just, it's insane. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely is. Did you find uh, Jasper there? Oh, sorry. I kind of went off on a tangent there. Here he is. <laughs> this is my Jasper. Jasper! Jasper's one of our older goats. Hi, buddy. And he's famous for his lovely, lovely smile. Come here, buddy. Uh, I guess he's trying to eat. We'll, we'll go to another goat that's not so hungry. Um, <laughs> well, actually, oh, let's. I, I want to, uh, for uh, a, a quick second here, let's go over and find Aaron. Um, and where are you, Aaron? Uh, I'm down in uh, like our hay barn. I'm with uh, Scotty uh, and Sky. Scotty is a little dairy orphan, and then Sky is the the all black little Angus. Yes, tell us about Sky Sky's uh, story. Sky is very interesting. Yeah, I wanted to pop in and show you guys Sky. She is a um, a recent rescue. She was raised on a beef farm uh, and could she was born with uh, uh, three and a half legs so we do we she has a prosthetic uh, <laughs> Scotty wants to be he wants, come on scoot over everybody um, so they prosthetic you can see that uh, that we got she was born in half so you know her her situation was very tragic and guarded and this this uh, prosthetic we're hoping will give her you know, another six months, another year or two of life, which she absolutely deserves. Um, it's not her fault. She was born this way. Uh, but the farmer um, did actually love her very much. They just didn't want anything bad to happen to her, but she could not keep up with their herd that their, you know, their beef herd that's out in the fields. And so, and then Scotty next to me, uh, the black and white uh, is a um, dairy industry orphan. As we all know, the boys are um, discarded because they're considered a product of the, of the dairy industry. So they're just usually cold or sent to be veal. So he's got a second chance here. And uh, you sent me videos of Sky and uh, the prosthetic. In fact, um, uh, I would like to uh, pop one of those up uh, because uh, this is, uh, is, is pretty amazing stuff. This is what Sky was dealing with when she... Yeah, and it's a work in progress. That's that's how she looked. Right. That's and, how she looked when she arrived. As right. Aaron said. Yeah. And and now here's the prosthetic, and you can see her walking around on that. Uh, and I think this was the first one. You had to refit it, didn't you? That that's a video of the very first time she had. I was I was in China. All right. And then here's the uh, the the latest fitting. And she's getting used to this now because she had the other one and it was not quite uh, long enough. Um, and uh, she's a little tentative on this, but as you've said, she'll get used to it 
Yes. Yeah, it just takes time. Used to. That was the first day of the, the second fitting, the extension. Yeah. So uh, that's that's just a remarkable story that you guys would go to that kind of length to uh, fit mm-hmm. uh, Sky with a prosthetic device. It's uh, it's it's really remarkable. Let's go back to Katie. And where are you, Katie? Oh, I'm still by the goats. I just wanted to show you. Um, these are two of my favorite. These are Sheldon right here. This guy mm-hmm. is Sheldon. And Sheldon was rescued from a um, uh, wet market in New York City. There's actually a whole bunch in the country that people don't realize is over 80. And when he was rescued, um, and he kept looking back and looking back, and the rescuers realized that there was somebody else there. And it was another little goat named Pinky. And as soon as they took Pinky, he was ready to go. Um, so he is, they were best friends forever, and they stayed together. And even among the herd, they would sleep together. And then um, Pinky just passed away recently. So we've been giving him lots of extra love. But the reason that he was so noticeable when he was at the wet market was because he went walk, walked right up to the rescuers and put his head on her shoulder. And he still does that. He just he comes right over and he just says all sorts of loving, puts his head on his shoulder and will rub against you like a cat. Um, so he's a very sweet baby. But we're going to go here. I'm going to show you our horse, Toy. Hi. Here she is. Toy. So Toy actually, um, you know, came with the farm. She Hmm. lived here longer than we have. So we're just on her farm. And um, she's a very old horse. She's actually 34, which is like, you know, great grandma years for horses. And she she was a broodmare, a lot of babies. And she, um, there was another horse with her who passed away and she seemed really depressed. And we, uh, I didn't work at the time, but they thought, well, she's depressed because she lost her friend. And when we rescued two dairy cows, she kind of, because they were in the next pen. So um, they moved, they moved the cows in with her and she took to, to momming them. So she was following them all around and they still, they're out in the pasture now. They're a pasture because she really enjoys their company and kind of just wants to feel like a mom. Um, but we, we know she's happy because one day this winter, when her workers came in, in the morning, it was it snowed. It was beautiful, and there was Toy on her back, rolling around, um, just like loving life. So sometimes wow. we just let her wander around freely, because she kind of knows she, she gets the run of the farm because she wants to make sure we're keeping everything, you know, tip top mm-hmm. shape, um, and doing right by her. So now I'm gonna I'm gonna try to take you over to our big pigs uh, if we can keep um, our keep. connection. So these are our biggest mm-hmm. pigs. Mm-hmm. This right here is our big man pecan. And Pecan is laying in the sun, loving life. (laughs) Relaxing on a Sunday. What all pigs love, no matter how big or little they are, is a big old belly rub. So um, Pecan is, he weighs about 950 pounds. So he came to us as a little baby from um, a student at college. She was in an animal science program. And they raised these from, you know, little piglets. And at the end of the year, she found out that they were going to be sold for slaughter. And she really didn't want that to happen. So she had her fellow students sign a petition um, saying, you know, we'd rather you give them to sanctuary. And she got a whole bunch of signatures. But the school basically said, that's great. We're still selling. We're still selling them for slaughter. So she and her family actually went to the auction and bought Pecan and brought him here. 
So he was just a tiny little baby when he came. And this is Tomo. He's big too. Hi, Tomo. Want to come out and say hi? Come on, big boy. Come on. Oh, my gosh. So late. Say hi, Tomo. Can you say hello? Yeah. All right. So he's another one of our, our large pigs. And, you know, you don't really get to see uh, pigs grow that large because they're usually slaughtered by six weeks. And, um, you know, this is how big they would be, though, that gigantic pig. So that's Pecan and Tomo, and I adore them. When you, sometimes if they're way out in the field, they, may, they make little wallows for themselves. But if they're way out here and you call them, they come running like dogs with their little ears uh -huh. flapping and their tails going. <laughs> um, for, for their tummy just, rubs, yeah. Yeah, the tummy rubs. They love the tummy rubs, too. Um, but I'm just going to show you. We have a little stream that runs. And they have made wallows for themselves, which mm. is kind of seems so smart to me. They did it over to the side so that the water could keep running through. Um, and, you know, of course, they are so smart. Um, they actually, and in fact, they beat out, um, I don't know if you can see, can you see the mud wallow here? Yeah, yeah, and yeah I can see it. There's, and there's a little, they love the, the flowery plant, too. Um, but, you know, they did studies to see just how smart pigs are. And they actually beat on pansies in learning how to move a cursor and win a very, you know, basic video game. So we're always talking about how pigs are, um, and we would never consider eating them. But pigs are actually just as smart um, in many ways. So I, I'm sorry uh, if you, you could repeat that. Pigs are chimpanzees. Chimpanzees. Okay. All right. Yeah. So they they were able to beat them at this video game test. All right. Um, and learn, learn it faster. All right, let's get uh, let's see where Aaron is. I'm hoping we have a better signal. How you doing, Aaron? Good. Is it working any better? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, okay. fantastic. Uh, so, uh, actually, I want to show something that Aaron sent me. I hope this is the right one. Let's see here. Oh yeah. <laughs> we're we're looking at animals eating watermelon. I didn't know uh, so many different kinds of animals like watermelon. Oh yeah, it's a, that's like a hot item when people uh, are allowed to bring treats. That's like a that's, that's he, a, definitely a hot. Item. And this is it in <laughs> slow motion. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is just a hoot watching a pig eat watermelon in slow mo. Just uh, it, He's enjoying it. It is making sure. my day here. Okay, let's get back to uh, to Aaron. Uh, where are you now? So I'm out in our, like, uh, it's a multi-species uh, area. So it's about a five-acre field that uh, we've got a number of, we've got goats in here, sheep, uh, all of our big factory farm pigs. We call them our jumpers. Um, they've all jumped off trucks and ended up on the highway uh, and then were brought here by Good Samaritans or the police. Um, but, yeah, we also, and there's a, it also kind of has our duck pond. You can see the ducks behind us. Uh, so similar to like what what Katie was saying that there's um you know these are these are food animals that people buy as pets and then they release in our local ponds and uh, the town that we have here in Hobart has uh, a lot of, uh, and the, and these birds cause a lot of environmental damage um, so we kind of teach the kids that every choice has a consequence a lot of people buy these just to play with them and then dump them when they're at the ponds when they're bigger but then yeah we have our our food industry pigs. Um, in here as well uh and we kind of teach the same thing about how intelligent they are how intelligent they are and um 
just, you know, and just the kids see that they could, they get to see these species interacting. Uh, there's friends, there's family members. I think I've got some of the goats here and yeah. in, in the food here. Is that the llama back there? Yeah, that's Ginny the llama. She's famous. Everybody loves Ginny. How is uh, it? Why is it you have a llama? Uh, she came with uh, she came uh, with a, a cow that we rescued a number of years ago from like kind of a hoarding situation, um, but she she's great because uh, she actually acts as a guard too. She will guard these these animals from predators, from a coyote or you know fox or anybody that tried to come in here. She would chase them away. So she she's uh, so she's she's helpful too. Uh, I see uh, you have uh, Katie. You have a, a partner there. Oh yeah, that's my daughter. Say hello. Hello. Oh, oh. My let kids me... came to event, so she likes the farm, and she's a uh, she's petting Artie. This is our little. This is our celebrity. Uh, this is Artie. He is a you know mini pig, which is now three hundred and fifty pounds, and um, he's such a. So he was rescued. He was owned by a couple from Brooklyn, and they really did love him, and they wanted to do the right thing by him. Um, they had a little tiny garden in the back, and he, he just kind of stopped eating. So they took him to the vet, and the vet did all sorts of blood work and all sorts of tests, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. So they br brought him up to Cornell and um, with the intention of leaving him there for a week for tests and everything. And he got out of the car and kind of looked around and started eating and rooting around. And they realized Artie was depressed. Um, he didn't want to live in an apartment in Brooklyn. He wanted room to root around and... Um, you know, just do natural pig behaviors. They really love to like dig up, turn up the um, ground with their nose and, you know, kind of wander around and be outside. And um, he's like you know, our most, most social pigs. He's, he's your most social pig? Yeah, he really, he's always like, he loves attention. And um, yesterday he was like dying to get out and party with everybody, but we really couldn't let him with all the food around. Uh, so, you know, yeah. it's, it's amazing that, um, uh, one of the things I've found out uh, in the time that we've been putting this show together is there are so many stories, and each of you has told me stories about these. You seem to know the stories of all the animals, um, and some of them are remarkable. Um, often it shows that they have human-like emotions, and they react to uh, the, the change in their setting uh, in very Human-like ways, I guess. I was going to say ways that we recognize, recognizable ways is what I meant to say. Well, you know, when I first started working here, I thought, oh, my God, I remember all these animals' names and all these stories. We have about 175 animals. But you, Aaron would agree with me, once you're kind of around them and you work with them, they're individuals. They're mm -hmm. And it's just like, you know, when a tells you a story, you remember their story. Um, and you know their, you know, you know their life. And... You know, when you adopt a dog, you know where you got the dog from and you know what happened. Um, so it's kind of the same thing. It's just you become, you see them as individuals, which is why, you know, we love doing the tours and we love having kids here for the same reasons that Erin already mentioned. They get to see the, the animals as individuals and, you know, with their family, the units. Um, and it makes such a difference. And, you know, once they hear stories like that, they think, oh, I wouldn't like that either if I was a pig. And, you know, how would I react? And um, they can sort of empathize with their animals a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it does, it does become easy once you spend time with them to know them and, um, you know, know their stories and how it, you can see what's affected their personalities. So it's, it's a pretty privilege to be able to do that. And I'm looking over at, uh, Aaron and, and I'm a, 
your your signal doesn't seem to be great, but I'm seeing uh, you with some sheep, um, and it might be that you need to uh, get towards a, a stronger signal. But uh, let me see. I can just uh, pop in um, what we have here and where you are. You, it's it's like a series of still photographs. Uh, as you move from animal to animal, so I, I don't know if you can. <laughs> it's kind of funny the 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 way it's working now. It's almost like a, we set up a slideshow uh, for Aaron here. <laughs> so, uh, Aaron, what I would advise, since we're getting to the end of the program, uh, if you can get to a place where there's a stronger signal, that would be great. The same with you, Katie, because we need to do a a, a little wrap up here. Um, and since and, and and I put the links back up as well. Um, obviously, it's it's it takes a lot of resources to to run and 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 feed and care for and do all the medical attention um, on both Aaron's farm and Tamerlane. So I put the links up again for for if you want to help out, it's up in the feed. Uh, thank you for doing that, Peggy. Because again, let us. Uh suggest that people uh, donate to both uh, Aaron's Farm and to Tamerlane Sanctuary and Preserve. Uh, the other thing, you can Katie... support th- individual animals, too, can't you? Yes. But I, I also just want to say that, you know, we love the donations. Definitely coming. But, you know, outreach is so important to us. We do do our virtual tours for schools mm-hmm. um, on a basis. So if you work at an underprivileged school... And, you, you know, your school can't afford it. We do that for free um, just to sort of give children everywhere the chance to learn about these things. So um, any schools out there, any educational institutions, whether they're homeschoolers or, you know, um, institutional regular type schools, um, we'd love to do virtual tours for you. And that information's on our website, too. And the other thing I should mention is that uh, in uh, at uh, Tamerlane, you're also into uh, pollinators habitat. Um, and, uh, go ahead oh, talk yeah. about that. And, and, and we forgot to mention for Tamerlane also your, your designation. Oh, right. Same. That's right. Because you just received a, uh, an, an award this year. You made history, uh, the global federation of animal sanctuaries, uh, accredited Tamerlane. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. It was a lot. It was definitely like a lot of work and, um, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to get because it's not just saying, you know, they, they make sure that you take great care of your animals and everything. But one of the other important elements is that you have a plan in place for the future, which is really important for a nonprofit and especially one that's got, you know, that we have over 275 animals that we have to care for. So we are really, really proud of that designation. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, and there's a lot. I would advise folks to go to their websites, uh, both Aaron's and Tamerlane's, uh, and, and see what they have to offer because we haven't even gotten into the vegan challenge uh, that uh, Tamerlane is doing, uh, Aaron. I I I can just see it's so choppy there. You've got I and I guess you can't hear me because uh, you 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 haven't been okay. able. Oh oh, you can't. Good. Okay, we need to wrap up here. So uh, I would like to have some final words from you as well. Um, so I'm I'm here with Lucy. Uh, she's a special cow. She's a breast cancer survivor. Um, but yes, uh, you know we. You know, uh, our, our farm is open to the public. We have school outreach programs as well, uh, and you can come visit. Uh, and, and, and we have uh, classes and programs here. All are about, all are about enrichment, uh, environmental education, and making good choices. Um, and we def- we're definitely uh, kind of touch on the plant-based uh, vegan stuff too. But it's a great entry-level farm. Uh, 
experience for families that are, you know, thinking about uh, changing their lives or becoming plant-based or living more compassionately. Uh, that's uh, a great way to end this. You guys are touching a lot of lives and, uh, and not just animal lives. I mean, you're changing, uh, the way people view, uh, animals. And, uh, so congratulations, uh, to both of you and to everybody who works at both places. I know that it takes a, a big staff and it takes volunteers and, uh, we appreciate having you on the show and thank you for the virtual t- tour. I hope uh, folks who are watching were able to get enough of it. I know we broke up a little bit. That's uh, that we knew that was going to happen. And, and we're just so pleased that we were able to do this and we had uh, beautiful weather as well. So, um, Katie Parker and Aaron Yance, thank you so much, uh, for being with us. Thank you so much. Yes. And I think we've got you back, Katie, uh, maybe. Thank you. All right. Yep. We'll talk to you soon. It's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki. Please stick around. There's more to come. Looking for a career with growth potential. Do you yearn to learn and prosper? Want to be a true innovator and industry leader? Look no further. We're Bartlett Tree Experts. We've been growing strong for well over 100 years, and we're just getting started. Discover why we have an unmatched reputation for service and ingenuity that have made us the official tree care service for many of the nation's and the world's most prestigious clients. Our people thrive in a safety-first, entrepreneurial, promote-from-within environment. Bartlett employees receive industry-leading training at our state-of-the-art research laboratories and education facility in Charlotte, North Carolina. At Bartlett, opportunity grows on trees. Through our foundation, we invest in the education of students of arboriculture, horticulture, forestry, and related fields. Employment opportunities are endless at Bartlett Tree Experts. Those who join the Bartlett team tend to love it here. Bartlett really opened my eyes to what's involved with arboriculture and all the aspects of tree care. As a plant health care specialist with Bartlett, I am able to apply what I've learned at school on a day-to-day basis. We offer some of the most competitive benefits in the industry, including paid holidays and vacations, medical and dental benefits, a 401k plan, life insurance, and much more. For over 100 years, Bartlett Tree Experts has been unrivaled in innovation and the tremendous opportunity it makes possible. Our cutting-edge thinking fosters a culture where breakthrough ideas become real-world solutions and our employees become respected leaders. Visit Bartlett.com to learn more about some of our exciting career options. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a slip-on of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root, and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music, porches, lawn serene. Give me all that I can take. Give me something that I wow. can break. That was fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I hope uh, folks didn't get seasick uh, <laughs> with all the breakups and the the cameras moving around. But I hope uh, 
that uh, our viewers uh, enjoyed that. Um. Yeah. Sh shout outs to uh, Allison and Nancy and Catherine and Ken, Bruce, uh, a lot of our, our people who are watching that really enjoyed that segment. Um, I'm so glad to to see that and and to hear that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it at the beginning of the show. I didn't. I wasn't getting any chat. I don't know what happened to the chat function on my end. I I logged in and there mm -hmm. was nothing. So um, it was what what it was. But um, um, gremlins. Yeah. Uh, but and I hope folks will uh, uh, take it upon themselves to contribute to donate to those uh, worthy yeah. organizations. And and I like what Katie said. Um, it was a little hard to understand, so you may have missed it. But for schools and other organizations, homeschooling, um, she said that they do the virtual tours, the virtual education online free. That's so great. So it's a great opportunity. Yeah. And uh, for those of you in the Chicago area, uh, you can get over to Hobart uh, in 45 minutes, as uh, as Aaron Yance said, um, and I, call in advance of course right right uh i plan to go i'm gonna mm -hmm. go take a look and and see what she's doing over there is just uh just just the coolest thing so okay are we done can i go home oh wait yeah. i am home <laughs> yeah wait a second yeah and, and hey shout out to skeet hey skeet he just signed in here oh He's good watching us. good to see skeet uh um, something else we gotta mention yes. um was the demise of periscope oh right Right. Um, I got a notice this week. Well, I, I, I think I had a, a, a notification that it was coming uh, earlier, but I, I had forgotten all about it. But apparently Twitter has given up on Periscope. Periscope was their live stream version of Twitter, and uh, they can't compete with YouTube and, and Facebook. Resistance is futile. Um, and I'd like to give up on Facebook. Borg myself, but uh, <laughs> however, that's futile at the moment. That's futile yeah. for the moment. Well, Peggy and I send these emails back and forth to each other about the evil things that Facebook does, and so uh, you know, someday, <laughs> may, someday, maybe we'll have a conversation about that yeah. as well. No, it's breakfast time. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I I get that, but yeah, apparently Twitter gave up on uh, on, on Periscope. So uh, if but if you. But we are broadcasting to Twitter right now. Um, are, it is. It's on Twitter. So, uh, so they're just picking it up on on Twitter. Okay. I haven't even looked at that. I was so busy engineering the and doing the cuts back and forth with but, our. But the best ways to watch the show are on YouTube, Facebook, and go straight to our website, MikeNovak.net. Yeah, you know, um, Kathleen does such a great job of of getting the stream up on the website. Uh, it's easy to see. It's a, a mm -hmm. big screen. You can watch it on your computer. Of course, a lot, some people watch on their devices. Um, uh, but um, we, the two places we really want you to go to are our website, MikeNovak.net, or the YouTube page, and please, if you can, subscribe to yep. the channel. That's. In fact, I'd go so far to say, if you're watching us on YouTube this morning, make sure you have subscribed. Please check that button right now, and please hit like, and keep doing that. Yep. Because that helps the algorithm. And uh, speaking of farm animals, uh, today is the second and final day of the 2021 Windy City Coop and Eco Yard Tour. Um, it's one to four 
and uh, I suspect you uh, you should not have. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It'd be a great day to go out in Chicago and mm-hmm. and and check out what how people are and, raising in suburbs. And sub that's right in some suburbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what I would uh, I think if you just type in Windy City Coop Tour on Facebook, you can get all the information about where to go. Yeah, uh, there's a map you can download. Um, I think there's there's a one to four grouping. It, it goes all day, but there's a one to four grouping of um, tours. Oh, wait. So, some are only open in the morning. Some are only in the Oh, I'm sorry. Afternoon. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I said one to four, but there's 10 to one yeah. and yeah. then one to four. So make sure you have the right grouping. You're, you're right. Just don't you're go right. right now. Go after 11. Yeah, right. Um, well, <laughs> they could go right now. I mean, you know, I'm not going to chain well, somebody to their device and yeah, make them watch us turn the device on on the phone and, and you know head yeah out and, the door. While, and while you're driving watch us on the device okay just just do that too uh, yeah. can listen yeah listen. no yeah so it's yeah there's two groups uh 10 to yeah. 1 and 1 to 4 uh and we to, talked about that last week when we had jenny on right but i just wanted to make sure that people knew that that was yeah still going on yeah. and speaking of of farms now it's not farm animals, but farms, um, just got this in this week as well from, um, the land connection in partnership with Prairie rivers network is hosting a free screening of the film seasons of change on Henry's farm. Um, coming up this Wednesday, September 30th from six to 8 PM. We've talked about that on the show as well. Seasons of change. Um, it's a timely documentary that follows organic farmer, Henry Brockman, who is uh, from central Illinois as he looks at his farm over the years and sees a lot of uh, changes coming along with climate change, with variations, um, and how he's growing and adapting to growing organic vegetables and working with the community. So if you go to landconnection.org in the events section, you can find all the information to sign up for that um, free screening. And again, it's um, this coming Wednesday. It says the 30th on the email, but it's actually the 29th from 6 to 8 p.m. Great. And, and, it's a, and, connection.org. and it's a lovely film. Um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed uh, watching that. And it's, uh, and it talks about the, um, the way climate change is affecting farmers, which, uh, is, is definitely the case. Um, also, uh, coming up on, uh, the 14th of October is, uh, the 2021 annual luncheon for open lands. This year, they're honoring Senator Dick Durbin with the Conservation Leadership Award. I'm looking at the picture. I think that picture of Dick Durbin that's, was taken 20 years ago. Yeah, um, that's his LinkedIn shot. There you go. Is, is that his LinkedIn shot? I don't Do you know? know. I don't know. No, it's the, you, you know, you guys the are good friends. You guys are change. like this, right? Right? The um, photos that never change, yes. <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, I know. It's it's always funny to to see what photos people are going to use of themselves. Well, look, look at the ones of us for the show. Uh, yeah, you know, should we do, do one with with the hair and the and the and the beard yeah, we'll for me? The yeah, hair, yeah, yeah, you know. But then it would change next week when we when we get a haircut, each of us. Um, so at any rate, uh, they're honoring Dick Durbin for his legislative achievements, achievements supporting conservation and the environment from uh, establishing Hackmatack National Wildlife Refuge and stewarding the passage of the Great Lake Great Lakes Restoration Initiative mm-hmm. 
uh, and other things. Uh, now, what's interesting in, in what we're starting to see here, um, a number of uh, groups were going to do uh, in-person uh, luncheons. This is actually both. Yeah, it's, it's in-person. A, a hybrid event. It's a, and, there, and a number of events now are hybrid events. And I'll be really honest with you, I'm uh, a number of people I know um, have contracted COVID mm-hmm. and, um, and they're, uh, mostly breakthrough cases. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm staying away from stuff like that myself right now. I just, um, it's, it's, it's so dicey out there. It's a, it's weird because, you know, we thought we were coming out of it and now you just look at those maps and you look at, you, you, you almost get numb to it watching news reports now when they show you the maps and basically the whole country's red, you know, uh, where the cases are exploding. Um, many of them are breakthrough. The good thing is, uh, the breakthrough cases don't usually end up putting people in the hospital. Uh, but what they do is make people sick and it, you know, it's like getting whacked with a baseball bat, uh, apparently, uh, when you contract, this disease, and uh, even even if you've been vaccinated against it, um, but again, I urge anybody watching this, and I and I if we did a poll, I'm betting that 99.9 percent of our viewers uh, have vaccinations. Uh, I could be wrong, but uh, I sure hope so. I hope they're smart and they're following the science, and the science says get vaccinated because we we took it on the chin here well we we had some trolls come to our facebook page a couple of weeks ago when i posted something about this um and um we had some people saying yeah it doesn't make any difference you, you know what you're still going to get covid well yeah you're going to get covid and you're not going to die generally that's a big difference if mm-hmm. you ask me and COVID is unpredictable, and, and some people get severe cases and some people don't, but people who are vaccinated generally don't get severe cases. Um, uh, not that it can't happen, because it can happen. So uh, getting back to events, you know, I, I, I think I mentioned on my show, I blew off my high school reunion because they refused to have any protocols. Um, there weren't going to be masks. They weren't even going to ask people if they were vaccinated. And I said, have a nice time. See ya. See ya when you do another one of those, maybe. Um, so uh, so what I would tell people to do, if you're concerned about it, get a virtual ticket to mm-hmm. see the uh, open lands, because they open do... Lands. And there's several other luncheons the same that are offering virtual tickets because this is the luncheon season in the environmental groups. Yeah, yeah, and and Open Lands uh, over the years has done such great work, yeah. uh, and and they've been supportive of us too, and I appreciate that. Uh, founded in 1963, one of the oldest groups in the area, they protect natural and open spaces of northeastern Illinois and the surrounding region. Um, and protect our, our clean air and water, n- protect natural habitats and wildlife, um, and have just done, the group has just done fabulous work uh, over mm-hmm. the decades, uh, and yeah. they should be supported. They should really be supported. Yeah. Well, and another group that has moved online again this year um, is Illinois Stewardship Alliance. 
their um, the fall harvest auction. Ten days of food, farms, and fun starts October third, runs through October tenth. So that's going to start next week. They're doing a virtual online auction. Um, they're going to be doing all of their presentations online, the awards online, and it's it is spread out over over the ten days. So um, and that's at ilstewards.org. And we've certainly had Liz Liz Moran Stelk and others talking about Illinois um, farming issues and other things that Stewardship Alliance is involved in. So I'd suggest uh, also checking that out. They've got some interesting auction items. Uh, and, and another group that is doing the hybrid thing is uh, Illinois Environmental Council. Uh, mm-hmm. Their 2021 Environmental Leadership Dinner is October 5th. So that's a week from Tuesday. Um, and uh, the ticket sales for being there in person end Tuesday, this Tuesday. Um, but they are also going to be broadcasting the event. Um, yeah. And that's at the Fairmont Millennium Park Hotel in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're honoring um, uh, a couple of people who have been on our our show Uh Dr. Cindy Scruckrude, um, who's going to win a Lifetime Champion Award uh, for her environmental work. Mm-hmm. And um, Nicole Virgil is getting the mm-hmm. Conservation Champion Award. And Nicole, of course, has been on our show to talk about her efforts in Elmhurst to get her hoop house. And she got the law passed. And that's part yeah. of the reason she's getting the award. She got, uh, uh, yeah. Thanks to all of them. De- definitely. Yeah. But well, they're also... They're also honoring uh, the Community Champion Award is the Stop General Iron Campaign uh, on Chicago's southeast side. And, of course, they're honoring um, Governor J.B. Pritzker because it's a good thing to <laughs> award the governor. Uh, he's, but, but he's been doing some very strong environmental work. So, you know, it's good to have uh, uh, the, uh, the governor on your side uh, when you're fighting the environmental battles of Illinois. I'm sorry, Peggy, you were going to say. I was going to say before we transition into that, because I know there's some some energy and Illinois environmental things we were going to cover. Um, another one to mention that has now gone online is the Green Living Expo, McHenry County College. Right. Which we are, we are a, a media sponsor for. Mm-hmm. And that is November 6th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. It's free and it's all online. Um, there's going to be four different tracks, renewable energy, waste reduction, food and farming, and fun and recreation. And Kim Hankins is going to join us in the next couple of weeks to, to talk about that because they're creating all sorts of wonderful interactive online experiences for this, both indoors and out. Right. And, and, and kudos to them for, for plowing ahead with this because, again, like all these other groups, they've been forced to sit down and mm-hmm. examine what they what they can do what they can accomplish can they do it live uh if they don't how do they do it virtually how do they do it online and um you know uh kim is such a great champion of that program uh at McHenry County College um and just talking to her she's so excited about doing it yeah. every every year and you and, it's and such i such a fun event we've done it for many years yeah yeah and we go there and uh i'm telling you the people in McHenry get it they uh and they show up they show up for this and it that's why it's it's frustrating when you can't do an in person event and i'm hoping yeah. that a year from now that will change yeah and i, I just one more thing on green living expo no, i know no, they are okay. still looking 
they're still looking for vendors. So if you have a green business, sustainable business, uh, local farm, co-op, well, co-ops, um, you know, there's a couple of them are there already, but you know, any business that you would want to reach out to the community from the virtual setting, um, give Kim a call. McHenryCounty.edu slash green will get you to her links. Uh, and, yeah, like I said, it's 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 a wonderful uh, event and, and good people putting it together. So what else was it that we were supposed to uh, – you, you were... Let's see here. I'm flipping back and forth between several windows. Um, you sent that piece on the methane emissions. Um, okay. Now you got uh, NGO me. Energy Vision shows that methane emission reduction efforts should prioritize organic wastes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was kind of interesting. That was um, press release, um, uh, sustainable energy. I don't Sorry, know that I, I have that in, in my okay, here. Um, as the U.S. and European Union pledged to cut methane emissions to fight climate change, analysis by the National Sustainable Energy Nonprofit Energy Vision shows that reducing emissions from organic wastes would cut methane more deeply and at a lower cost than reducing emissions from the fossil fuel industry. Um, last week at the Major Economies Forum, the U.S. and the European Union committed to slashing methane emissions 30% below 2020 levels by 2030. Um, in May, the U.N. Environmental Program and the Climate and Clean Energy Coalition issued a landmark global methane assessment, which stated that cutting methane emissions is the strongest lever we have to slow climate change over the next 25 years. Um, so in the coming weeks, the U.S. EPA is expected to announce new tighter regulations requiring oil and gas companies to find and fix methane leaks. Um, they're also suggesting organic waste be processed in specialized tanks called anaerobic digesters. And it goes on to say that, um, you know, while fossil fuels capping methane releases there is great, um, they also suggest Organic waste deserves top priority in the U.S. methane reduction efforts, um, including landfills, farm fields, and wastewater treatment plants. And it makes it makes perfect sense. We have so much uh, organic material that goes to landfills. Um, it's it's a good thing to capture that that energy uh, and and the greenhouse gases that are produced by their decomposition. Um, I can't even find the article I sent you, so. <laughs> it, I, <laughs> You know, I saw it, and now I, I have no idea where it is, where it is at the moment. But um, I'll re-forward it to you. Um, well, but you, you you covered it very well. That's uh, yeah. that's a a, yeah. a really yeah. really really okay. cool thing. Um, Here's another event that okay. you sent me. All right, uh, Chicago Metropolitan Area Planning. Uh, Chicago Metropolitan Agency for Planning, or CMAP, has their State of the Region event, first time ever takes place on Thursday, October 7th at 10 a.m., again, um, online. Keynote speech by public health expert and medical executive Dr. Suzette McKinney. A ceremony for the winners of CMAP's 2021 Regional Alliance Awards and a State of the Region address by Executive Director Aaron Ailman. Um, they're going to look at their public opinion survey on Illinois, northeastern Illinois um, resident attitudes towards key quality of life issues, successes and challenges across our region. A lot of that focuses on transportation and regional planning for the greater Chicagoland area and for open space, um, different, how do we stop traffic jams? Um, you know, what do we do about 
moving forward in a very congested region. Well, and they sent a very interesting article about that as as well about Singapore mm-hmm. uh, and how Singapore implemented congestion pricing nearly fifty years ago, uh, and it has worked to uh, to combat. What is that? That is where you you pay more to be in certain parts of the city. Um, and given now, you know, 60 or 50 years ago, it was hard because you were, I don't, I'm not exactly sure how they were paying. It was, you know, with, was toll booths. <laughs> yeah. Or real money or something. But now you can have those uh, readers that scan a car and you can uh, e- more easily implement that kind of congestion pricing. Um, and it's a way to cut down and think, I mean, our, Looking at uh, the uh, the traffic uh, post pandemic, we're we're back to where yeah. we were. It it hasn't changed. Yeah, that's that's what this piece says that that we are at or above pre pandemic levels in northeastern Illinois. Yeah, uh, and speaking of that, and and the, the consequences of that, um, I just booked Guy McPherson for the program again. And some of you, you're, uh-oh, you're looking askance, Peggy. Um, yeah, he's not the, um, the, the cheeriest guy in the world. He's the, he's uh, not Mr. Sunshine. No. Yeah. He's the author uh, and uh, proprietor of nature bats last. And if you look up nature bats last, it's a, a website. Um, and he is the guy who basically around 2003, uh, started saying, you know what? Um, it's too late for us to do anything. We're we're screwed. Uh, and he has held to that, and he's become very controversial. Um, and uh, some people think he's a crackpot, and some people think he's spot on. Um, he is an outlier in the scientific community, uh, uh, but he uh, has very interesting ideas. I mean, so if you look at, I was reading an article about him and other people who talk about climate change. Um, and the ones that get all the press uh, are the climate deniers, climate change deniers. Uh, they're covered all over the place. But the climate change, what they call alarmists, um, do not get the same publicity that the climate change deniers get. So we've got all these people out there saying, ah, nothing's going to happen, and they get everybody's holding a microphone to their face, but you get a guy like Guy McPherson and uh, he's saying, we're past the point where we can fix it. So, you know, bundle up tight, uh, be nice to each other and kiss your behind. Enjoy what time you have left. Yeah. Basically, you know, Uh, but they don't get as much press. uh, And, and that's, and it's, it's true. And it might be because, there aren't that many alarmists on there. I mean, there are people are still, most scientists are still trying to find solutions. And mm-hmm. so uh, Guy McPherson is, uh, is looking at some of those solutions. In fact, um, I didn't, uh, give me two seconds here, and I can find one of them that he is talking about. Let's see. What, yes, when's Guy something called... On? He's talking about one of the things that is a possibility is something called uh, mere reflection. Uh, And this is going on at Harvard. Rebalancing Earth's energy flows and restoring her bio uh, geochemical cycles by achieving carbon neutrality through engineering uh, 
um, and uh, they want to put mirrors up, literally, to reflect the sun's rays and create uh, coolness. Now, it it that sounds a little crackpot, except that they're working on it at Harvard University, so I'm not exactly sure. And I haven't, uh, so they're, they want to use glass mirrors to reflect solar radiation away from Earth. Uh, redirect solar radiation to harness its potential for enhanced food production and carbon-neutral energy generation, facilitate the biological and accelerate the chemical processes endemic to Earth's oceans and atmosphere for reducing atmospheric carbon dioxide and methane, and establish an open education network for promoting pan-human solidarity and justice and supporting them through relentless innovation. I like the idea of relentless mm-hmm. innovation but the mirror sounds like something out of bradbury or yeah it Arthur does. C. Clarke or some yeah some some science fiction by the way uh isaac asimov's i just saw that um on one of the uh channels t- tv channels they're doing foundation uh, when i was uh in high school i read foundation trilogy i was a big science fiction guy in uh, in high school and foundation trilogy by isaac asimov is wonderful now they're turning it into a series um it'll, that'll be interesting to see um how they like, can do that yeah i can't think of the author off the top somebody i'm sure one of our our viewers um red mars green mars blue mars of how we terraform mars how we turn Mars into Earth and move all the problems you know, right over here, to Mars. Here's what I got to say about that. Those people are saying we need to terraform Mars so we can have a planet to live. We already got one. We've screwed it up. But we've already got a planet, and it's pretty darn good. Uh, why are we thinking we need to move to Mars to so that we have uh, you know planet B? Why don't we work on planet yeah. A? It just seems logical to me. I don't know about you. It kind of goes back to some of the same things we were talking about on in the first hour. Throw away society. Well, we're throwing away the whole planet right now. And that's what Guy McPherson is saying. He's saying it's crazy. Uh, and we, But we've, we've pushed it too far, and we're not going to get it back. So anyway, Guy's going to be on with us, I believe, the 17th of October. So uh, you mark, mark your calendar if you... Uh, <laughs> want to hear somebody pretty out there uh, about uh, what's going on in this world. All right, we need to take a break. Rick needs to leave early today, so we're going to get to him. It's the Mike Novak ah. Show with, with Peggy Malecki. Oh, uh, did he texted me. I, no, he, he wrote to me, and I'm going to okay. pop something up. So uh, we'll be back with meteorologist Rick DeMaio. You have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collective Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. Whether you're a farmer or a backyard gardener, assist your soil in providing key nutrients to your plants with Spectrum Soil Inoculum from Tinyo Biologicals. The beneficial microorganisms in Spectrum break down and release vital nutrients and make them more accessible to your plants. Spectrum works with nature to decompose organic matter into humus, building richer, healthier soil. Spectrum is approved for use on certified organic crops and is OMRI listed. Get Spectrum at blazing-star.com. 
your time to win our hearts all in let's let the fun begin take a dive take a dive take a And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy hey, Malecki. There's uh, good morning, Rick DeMaio. Yeah, hi guys. Um, it, 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 you just sent me a couple of photographs. Do you mind if I pop them up uh, on the screen there, Rick? Do you, do you want to? Yeah, no, not at all. You can go ahead as long as I don't start crying. Yeah, oh, well, this yeah. is uh, you know. Speaking of uh, earlier in the program, we were we were at a couple of uh, rescue farms for. Uh, animals and this was uh your partner rebecca's horse uh and annie uh, um so uh anything you want to say about uh about annie yeah uh annie <laughs> i guess i can <laughs> i'm so sorry yeah um, i unfortunately you I'll try to get Andy. my, um, yeah, yeah. You lost Andy this week. Yeah, she died of um, equine multinodule pulmonary fibrosis, which is a severe form of um, uh, pneumonia. And as you know, horses have big lungs. Yeah. So we noticed that about three weeks ago, her cough, which she had every once in a while, um, got a little worse. And then her fever spiked. Uh, so we called the vet and the vet, uh, from a place called uh, Wisconsin Equine up in Oconomowoc came down, looked at her with an ultrasound. And it's amazing. You know, you watch these shows like Dr. Pull, um, Emergency, Animal Hospital, and it, it really is like what you see on TV. It really is what happens in the real world. They literally have like, you know, a hospital room in their back of their car or their van or their SUV, uh, and they could do all sorts of diagnosis on the fly. Um, so she clearly saw that Annie was struggling breathing due to the fact that the lungs had a lot of, um, um, fluid in them, some bacteria. So, uh, she was shipped up to uh, ICU, um, at the Wisconsin equine center. It was about a 40 mile drive. Um, got her on, you know, the quote we thought at the time, uh, correct knock, if you want to call it, um, cocktail of narcotics and other things. Um, and she did respond. She was getting better. And then all of a sudden she took a turn for a worse, literally right after she was released. Um, and her other side began to become infected as well, even though the right side, um, became somewhat clear, um, or not clear, but better. And the fever just kept going up and up and up, you know, like it would come down, it would go up and come down and go up. Um, so about a week later, we, um, called the vet again and, that came out and said, you know, when that came out, we brought the we brought Annie back up to Wisconsin Equine up in the Conowoc, and they took X-rays and said her lungs were literally ninety percent full. Um, and you know, Annie's twenty three and a half. Rebecca rescued her uh, about seven and a half years ago, 
we've rescued two dogs, a ferret, uh, a couple of, um, um, what are those little fuzzy guys that run around and squeak a lot? Um, not <laughs> gerbils. Hamsters. No, the other ones. The other ones. I forget exactly what they are. Not gerbils, not hamsters. Anyway. Um, uh, guinea pigs? Guinea pigs. Yeah, the guinea pigs. And uh, we just rescue animals. And Rebecca is the best uh, animal mom, horse mom that you can find on planet Earth. So it was really tough because when we when we got the news that Annie was probably not going to make it, um, we brought her back to the barn up in Lyons, Wisconsin, where I go every Sunday with her. And she got, she's up there three days a week. Um, you can see that Annie was not doing well. And then we were going to go back up there the next day, and we got a call that Annie was down. And that's never a good sign. So by the time we got up there, she had already passed. And, and that's the hard part is because you not only look at this animal as a beautiful living creature, you know, prancing through, you know, the grass or the snow, but, you know, they become your buddy. They become your soulmate. Some people think that we rescued them, but I think Annie rescued Rebecca. I really do. So it's, I, I hate breaking down like this, but I think people who are watching know exactly what I'm talking about because we lost a ferret and a dog literally within about five weeks of one another. And then that was two years ago. And now Annie, and this is, this is going to be a tough one. This is going to last um, forever. I don't think they ever go away. But, you know, when you have all these signs that come back and, and hit you, you know, like you see something, there's, there's a dog, or there's a horse or a person. Um, I mean, I, my, my brother lost his son at the age of 26. And I, I always know that on a certain date, it's like it, it, it hits them. You know, Christmas hits them. You know, Father's Day hits them. You know, you see kids graduating, it hits them. So when, when people, you know, hear about other people, you know, rescuing animals, um, it, it's, it's, it's a two-way process. You're not just rescuing the animal, but the animal is like, in a sense, rescuing you and our little guy, Jax. I remember the day that we went to see him, he walked right up to me and I'm like, all right, that's it. You're going home. Um, and uh, I think the, the, the previous segment that Mike and Peg that you did, I think really um, is important for people to know because when you do hear things like, oh, it's a pig, you know, <laughs> pigs are smart <laughs> or, or it's a horse and you realize why people go vegan, you know, and why people go vegetarian, you know, they, they, they want to at least preserve that sanctity of the animal world that I think humans probably don't understand. They really don't. Uh, but I know that when I get up in the morning, Jax, my dog, expects me to take him out, expects me to give him a treat. Um, he expects me to take care of him. And animals are not able to do that on their own. And that's why humans are here to do that for them. But at the same time, if there's one way, and I'll finish up here in a second, if there's one way to really purge your day of really horrible things that have happened is you either A, go for a walk. I know, Peg, you love to do that a lot along the lakefront. Um, Mike, you go into your garden. I take my dog for a walk. And it, it gets me out and about. Um, and it just it, and they greet you with unconditional love. Um, and there's, there's like that in no other. So I urge people to 
um, get a little bit more involved in, in animal rescue. But at the same time, when you watch some of these shows on TV, you go, eh, there's another dumb show about someone rescuing an animal, something like that. There's actually a lot of heart and soul and personalities that animals have. So that was a really important thing that, that you did this week, Mike. And, uh, um, and for, for, uh, for people who have lost animals like, like we have, but especially someone like Rebecca who puts her heart and soul um, into it, it's, it's as, my, as my dad said, and, and I'm going to end it on this, when my parents lost their dog two dogs ago, he wrote me a letter saying, I have never felt so connected to anybody in my entire life. And I was like, wow, I think that means my mom as well. And I never, I never actually shared that letter that he wrote with my mom. Because if, if they got into an argument, my dad took my dog out for a walk. Um, and it was, uh, it, it, it's one of those things that unless you really get completely 100% involved in being responsible with the animal, um, people who don't do that will never really understand that. That doesn't mean that they're wrong. That just means that they haven't gotten to that place where some of us are fortunate enough uh, to have gotten to. Well, thank you for that. And Rick, you, uh, Rick. we're getting our, uh, our viewers are sending hearts. Um, and Sarah Batka said, our hearts go out to you and Rebecca for your loss. Um, and she says, yeah, they rescue you too. Yeah. Um, Bruce, uh, Bruce commiserated here. He says he lost his son at 21, the age of 21, oh. two, two years ago. So, um, you've, you've, uh, hit a chord here and thank you for your honesty and your emotion. Uh, I, I know you don't have a lot of time today, so let's, let's, I can, I can go another 10 minutes. That's fine. That's fine. I, cause we can switch gears here and I, oh, right. Then I will just say one thing, you know, and even, even a cat. I come home, my cat's waiting for me at the back door, runs into the living room uh, ahead of me, goes to my briefcase, which is usually sitting on the floor, starts scratching it, and expects me to scratch her while she's scratching my briefcase. That briefcase is not long for this world, but I'm not taking it away from my cat. That's not going to happen. If they want seconds and thirds after dinner, okay. They get a little little more food. You know, uh, yeah, there's there's something about that pig that's and bad, as we all know, uh, because an animal doesn't understand nutritional, uh, dietary um, <laughs> regulations and percentages and things like that. But like my little guy right now, where is he? He's right there. <laughs> oh, there he is. Hey, Jax. Hey, Jax. So, so that that's Jax, and you know, as as soon as it, it's funny, Mike and Peg, he knows. Not when I get up, but when I close my laptop. Literally, when I close my laptop and he hears that bump, he's off the chair. He's off the couch. He's like, oh, yeah. that means playtime next, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Playtime. It's me. Yeah. Playtime. All right. And, uh, and uh, Greg and Audrey and Dan Costa, they are, they are commiserating as well. So you, you got fans out there who uh, are feeling your pain, and they're with you. So yeah, it's not it's not easy, and I think for horses more than anything, you have a connection with them. You know, they're not only something that you take care of, but you ride, and it's like getting on a motorcycle, it's getting on a bike, it's getting in your favorite car, it's shifting the gears, it's knowing how to. I mean, when you watch when you watch the Olympics, the only sport that has an animal is equestrian, right? We don't have dog races, we don't have pig races, yeah. we don't have cat jumps and things like that, right? <laughs> we, we and, literally and- have, 
there's therapy you know a lot of healing with horses therapeutic riding equine psychotherapists there's just a lot of things with horses and the human connection yeah it, it, it really is it's, it's it's great that you mentioned that because there's so much more of that involved as well um as opposed to just sitting down and talking to someone and you know what it, it, as much as you hear like like a licensed physician ask you the right questions. It was it was a little bit like you really don't know what's going on to me. But an animal doesn't ask questions. <laughs> an animal just like takes their nose and nudges it under you, mm-hmm. and then you get into that that kind of like like movement or mo- moment with them. But yeah, a horse is not so much um, a, a friend, but they're a beast of burden. At the same time, they're an amazing athlete. Um, and if, if you really think about it, they're the only animal out there that probably has three parts to them that no other animal and no other human being um, has that part. The fact that they're a beast of burden, there's something to look at and take care of. But at the same time, they're damn good athletes. <laughs> it really is amazing. Well, you send our love love to Rebecca, please. And I know you guys got to go up yeah. there and, and uh, do uh, the, af- you know, deal with, whatever it is and and anybody who has who has lost someone the hardest thing is is like the week after you know Mm -hmm. it's like cleaning up and picking up stuff and going what do i do with this that's that's the hard part you find yourself stopping and staring and looking at it and going all right now what and then the tears come out the things break down so yeah but we could talk about weather (laughs) okay let's do that the most remarkable thing you sent me this week i think is this um yeah the rainfall deficit yeah if, and and we'll put the drought map up in a second. But look at these deficits for uh, and, I, right. and I keep I keep telling people get out there and water, uh, get out. You know, and you mentioned it this week. Your, your perennials, but certainly your trees and shrubs. Um, uh, uh, Dan Costa uh, last week sent me a photo of creeping Charlie, which is a weed that was desiccated yeah. because uh, you know and and nobody's going to uh pine for uh, creeping charlie and feel sorry for it no. but he said he'd never right. seen anything like that before yeah yeah and you know where where peg is up in lake county that's where that area now has become severe drought you know we drive up through you know lake county up into racine actually county and then racine you know twice a week and you really see the public grass areas uh, almost completely now brown especially after we've had some warm weather but oddly enough the the corn made it through this because we got the rain just at the right time and again we call those million dollar rains because when we needed the rain we got the rain and it was amazing that we didn't have that hot of a summer so i think we're going to go back and look at this drought as one that was uh complemented by the fact that when we got the rain, when we needed the rain, we got the rain. It never got extremely hot. If you look back to 12, we probably had worse rain deficits with this one as opposed to 2012. But 2012 was super dry at the beginning of the year and ended up staying that dry all the way through the most important time during when everything was basically beginning to take root. And that's why 2012 was such a much worse drought. But yeah, you look at this area of Kenosha County and Lake County, that's severe drought now. I mean, that's the stuff that they have out in California and Colorado. Um, and then you get a closer look. Um, and then again, that entire area west of what we call the I-88 corridor, where there's tons of corn. The corn guys did really well because, again, 
the rains came when they needed to come. Um, and we didn't have really excessively high heat. And I really believe that the, the humidity that we did get in the month of August um, kind of saved a lot of the plants as well because it added a, that little layer of, of water vapor to the atmosphere. So, again, this is the kind of the things that we learned. We kind of learned some of these tangents of, of quote, weather disasters um, only because it pushes us to learn more of them. Not that we want to learn more about them, but it, but it really does. Yeah, and going back to the map uh, of the uh, Midwest states here, you can see Iowa has still got a lot of dry territory. Uh, Minnesota, especially up north, is really right. severe drought. Uh, Wisconsin has done a little better, and so has Michigan, because Michigan had a pretty hard uh, go of it early on, but they've recovered somewhat, except for that corridor right at the southern part of Wisconsin and northern part of Illinois. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing. We now have more of an area of severe drought than Iowa does, because Iowa, as you remember, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, got pounded um, in in the latter half of August and into early September. Uh, but again, I mean, here we are complaining about how dry it is. You look outside, you go, it's phenomenally beautiful out. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it is. really, really nice. Yeah, and again. This is great weather. I mean, great weather uh, for harvesting. So um, I know that when we go up into the farm country here in another hour or so or half hour, um, the farmers are out there seven days a week. And again, you look at this accumulated precip. And again, that northern area, Mike and Peg, of Iowa and Minnesota, where if you've ever driven along I-90 from, I think it's Verona, Wisconsin, to Albert Lee, um, that southern area of Minnesota, it looks like northern Iowa. And look how much rain they got in the last 30 days, literally 200% of normal. So it was a total flip-flop uh, from a standpoint of areas of Wisconsin or southern Wisconsin, Illinois. And again, I, I hate this map because it shows green to be less rain. But again, you look at that one part of northern Iowa, 10 to 15 inches of rain. That's an amazing amount of rain all the way across Wisconsin and Michigan. But the area where we've had the drought, um, it's just expanded. And the, and the, the really scary thing about it, <laughs> there's no rain expected for the next seven okay. days, literally no rain, like zero, zero. Yeah. That's that, that is a, a scary thing. Here's the, um, the jet stream that has something to do with it, I assume. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is good that we show this every week cause it'll get people to understand what we look at as meteorologists. So uh, that, that big circular flow, which is over um, southeast part of uh, Canada, that was basically over the Great Lakes on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That gave us that cool wet weather that we were talking about last week. But now the jet stream is basically coming out of the west-northwest, which is a dry flow. And if you go to the next map, this would be for eight days from now. It literally goes further north, which is really amazing. So the fact that we're going to stay not only dry, we're also going to stay warm. The only good thing about that, if you notice the way the lines are kind of coming in from the Great Lakes um, into the Carolinas, that yeah. west-northwest flow will keep any hurricanes that try to make it to the east coast, that'll kick them off to like Bermuda and out over the water. The only thing we have to worry about is now that the areas of the Gulf of Mexico and the Bay of Campeche and the um, Yucatan Straits if anything forms in that area, go straight north, look out Gulf Coast. Now, I don't know if you guys remember this, but four years ago, we were in a string of seven consecutive days 
of temperatures in the low 90s. The reason why, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria. Remember those storms back in uh, late September? All of those storms literally took the jet stream and pushed it northward. The jet stream isn't being pushed northward this year by, by hurricanes. It's just being pushed northward by the fact that the atmosphere has gotten really warm. So if you look at the storms that we've had so far this year, we've had 19. Many of them have been weak. I have to say, this is not one of those seasons where you go back and you go, holy smoke, there were like three Category 5s. We've actually had four major hurricanes of Category 3 or greater, 19 total named storms, seven of them hurricanes. And this is actually working out really well with the prediction from not only the National Hurricane Center, but also the uh, uh, Tropical Storm Forecasting Unit at a Colorado State. I know you think Colorado, why out there? But they do a lot of long-term forecasting just on patterns. But the consensus was, and this was all the way back in August, we were going to see anywhere between 15 and 21 named storms. We're up to 19. 7 to 10 hurricanes were up to 7. 3 to 5 major hurricanes were up to 4 at this point, uh, or 5. I lost track there. But the bottom line is, the forecast right now is working out okay if it ended today, but it's only the 26th of September. We still have a whole nother month to go. So if you think about it, the possibility, yeah, four, four major hurricanes. Thanks for going back on that. Uh, but if you think about it, the fact that um, Hurricane Wilma occurred the last weekend of October back in 2005, Hurricane Sandy occurred on the last week in October in 2012, and as long as that area of north of South America to about the Yucatan Straits down around the Caribbean, South Caribbean, stays somewhat less windy in the upper levels, anytime you get a storm down there, it's going to move northward. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of potential activity uh, that we're still worried about. Right now we're worried about Hurricane Sam, which is now a Category 4 storm. That's way out in the southern Atlantic, but I don't think that's going to do anything in the United States. If anything... In three or four days, it may impact Bermuda. We'll see about that. But this hurricane has really ramped up. So between Hurricane Larry, which was a Category 4 that, believe it or not, hit Nova Scotia, and Hurricane uh, Sam, which looks like it's going to hit Bermuda and maybe Nova Scotia, the United States outside of Hurricane Ida has been relatively unscathed by the big storm so far this year. You know, it's uh, the reason I put this map up, and um, I'm sorry, it's a, a little bit small. Um, oh, what, what I was struck by looking at this is the seeming <laughs> the seeming randomness of the the paths of hurricanes. I mean, there's there's no one track that they're all taking. I mean, yeah, normally they come up from the uh, west coast of Africa and come across the Atlantic, or they form in the, the Gulf of Mexico. But I mean, look at the, the crazy tracks there, and, and is there any pattern you can get from this? Well, they generally take that track, which goes from west, uh, from east to west, and they make a big curve. So you do kind of see that a little bit. Uh, the one orange one that kind of came out of West Africa, went right across the central part of the Atlantic. That was Hurricane Larry. But what I look at when I see this map is there's a lot of blue, and the blue indicates a Category 1 or Category 2. There haven't been a lot of storms that had a Category 4 or 5 mm -hmm. for a long period of time, all right? Not like what we had back in 2017. Um, and that's one of the reasons why the total dollar amount is fairly low. The only one that really 
was the more expensive one was Ida, and that's the one that went right into Louisiana and then eventually up across the New York City, New Jersey, Philadelphia mm-hmm. area. But if you would take away maybe a couple of ones that are look like outliers, you would still kind of see this pattern that takes it from east to west um, and then kind of curves a little bit. Sometimes these storms can move into Chicago. We had that with Hurricane Gustav. We had that with Hurricane Ike back in 2005 and 2007, which is rare to get something like that in Chicago. But um, uh, I think the remnants of a tropical storm in the Chicagoland area would be actually welcome, don't you think? Uh, absolutely, at this point, because uh, <laughs> uh, we look at the temps, and as you mentioned earlier, no rain in the forecast. No, and, and the thing about it now is if, if you took this pattern, Mike and Peg, and instead of it being September 30th, if you made this July 30th, we would be talking about temperatures above 100 degrees. Right now we're talking about temperatures about 85 to 90 Yikes. Normal high by the time we get to next week is 69. So if you hit 85, people go, wow, it's great. But what they don't realize is 15 degrees above normal in July is 100 degrees. It's the same pattern. It's just the fact that we're getting uh, about, say, 700 watts per square meter of energy this time of the year as opposed to maybe 1,000. Okay, so we're getting a lot less solar radiation. But one thing that you're going to notice is that the feedback mechanism of the very, very dry ground could actually keep you warmer a little bit longer as you head into um, the month of or the early part of October, which you can see this goes all the way into the 8th of October. We're talking two weeks out. Two weeks mm-hmm. out, we're going to have temperatures, you know, above normal. And again, I've said it before, as long as you don't have a lot of rain, those lakes actually stay pretty mild. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not people are actually taking a dip in the lake later on today or tomorrow when temperatures get into the low 80s. I know the lake cooled down a little bit the last couple of days, but there's something to be said for people going, I swam in Lake Michigan in October. Uh, that's that's rare to do around here, but this year I think we can probably get away with doing that. Mm-hmm. All right, one more map before we get a forecast and let you go. Uh, the colors yeah. are and, coming. Oh, the colors. I don't know about you guys, but I've already seen stuff turn a week ahead of normal, if not two weeks. And the fact that the weather was cooperating I would not be surprised if you have hotels and motels booked into the next two weeks for all of central and northern Wisconsin and eventually um, into the southern part of the state due to the fact that the fall colors, I think because we've been so warm and dry, are already looking fantastic. And and you notice it like yesterday, Rebecca and I were going for a drive and you could already see those long shadows that you don't normally see yeah. at the end of uh, July or August, you're seeing them now, and the um, and the trees are, are are responding nicely to that. So this is the the Wisconsin uh, update. The the um, the one for Illinois we can talk about next week because it really gets into some of the trees and things like that. And that's probably for those people who like to go to the you know um, Chicago Botanical Gardens and, and see all the colors. But man, get it into the Get out into the our you know the, the trashy areas of our forest reserves. You see just as many good colors in those areas. <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way, but I mean, why pay twenty bucks to park your car, or walk around, and go look how beautiful it is when you can do it for free going for a bike ride or walking your dog? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, give us a forecast. All right. So uh, mid seventies today, low eighties tomorrow. Front comes south of us on Tuesday, so that'll cool things off. So. 
uh, mid-70s inland, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, upper 60s, near 70 at the lake, and then probably back up to close to 80 degrees for Friday and Saturday of next week. Uh, in addition to that, no rain. Um, and um, anything you want to do outside over the next seven days, uh, Get do it. Out the only every bad day. Thing, yeah, the only, big, the only bad thing about playing golf, as you know, Mike, this time of the year is when you hit your ball off course, mm-hmm. it's hard to find it under all those leaves, right? Yeah, you're <laughs> going to lose a few golf balls uh, under the leaves. And uh, sometimes you lose them in the fairway, too, which is really frustrating. <laughs> But there's yeah, no leaves yet, go- so get out and play golf. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And uh, go USA, the Ryder Cup up in Kohler, Wisconsin. Oh, my God. That is that is a beautiful place to watch and play golf, right? Yeah, I caught some of that in the last couple of days. Um, it is, it, it's just so stunning. It, you just can't believe it. Yeah. Right on right on Lake Michigan. And uh, and what a crazy course! Uh, I I'm not sure I would want to play that course. <laughs> I, I I think it's I think it's really going to be great later on this afternoon because the 17th hole is I think a 218 par 218 yard par three, and if you miss the hole, it's like Pebble Beach. You're in Lake Michigan, and especially today with the wind out of the west at about 30 miles an hour, you're going to see a lot of golfers straining to get the ball anywhere near the green. <laughs> so uh, the great thing about golf is Mother Nature always has the final say in things. Absolutely. All right, uh, Rick, um, again, our condolences to you. And um, uh, have a pleasant trip up there. At least enjoy the colors and enjoy the beautiful <laughs> the beautiful day. It may be pleasant going up, but it won't be pleasant getting there or coming back. So wish me luck, guys. Okay, hang in there. All right, we'll see you, uh, we'll see you next week. With that, it's uh, just you and me. Why don't we do this? And thank, uh, wow, wow, what a what a remarkable show today uh, from top to bottom. Uh, wow. Katie Parker and Aaron Yance, uh, so much to thank them for. And don't forget to, uh, if you get a chance to donate to Tamerlane Sanctuary and Preserve or yep. Aaron's Farm. Um, Check out all those events we were talking about. Right. And uh, thanks to meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Uh, to Kathleen working hard upstairs, to Legata who scratches on my briefcase, to uh, to Basil who you're going to have to take outside. <laughs> Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. <laughs>